Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to stretch every dollar with deals for you. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, we're moving from deals to no deal at all. Tempting offers for you when you're looking for cash to borrow money that are a complete and total ripoff. I got to make sure you are aware. And later this hour, if you aren't really thrilled with the job you're in or you're unemployed looking for a new opportunity, there's a new job search opening up that I want to tell you about that uses machine learning, artificial intelligence, to try to match you, your history, your skills, your training with jobs that are available that match up well with you, that proverbial needle in a haystack. I'm going to tell you how that works in just 30 minutes. You know, in all the debate about health care, one thing keeps lurking kind of on the surface or to the side And that is the cost of prescription drugs. This is a terrible, terrible burden on people and is costing a lot of people their lives because a third of all prescriptions written are abandoned before being filled because you just flat out can't afford that prescription. And this is an ongoing problem that is, believe it or not, unique in the United States. I want you to understand how the whole rest of the world has manipulated us, and here's how it plays. Everywhere else in the world, there are tight caps on what a drug company can sell its drugs for. And so a drug that maybe in the United States could be hundreds of dollars for a prescription might be $7 equivalent in another country you know so many americans that live in border states cross into canada to fill prescriptions because many prescriptions are a tiny fraction of the cost across the canadian border what they are in the united states and that's because we are the only ones with prescription drugs playing a full free market thing So everywhere else, people are benefiting from the enormous profits that the drug companies make in the United States, and they can use that for research and development for new drugs or to just increase their profits, because everywhere else in the world, the profit ratios, because the price caps, are much, much lower, and so there are a number of American states that are considering legislation, this is across the political aisle, you know, both political parties and control of states, that would put into effect price caps in the U.S. Now, I acknowledge completely the problems 
we have in the U.S. with drug pricing and the phenomenal burden it can place on a family. But my dad's, one of his favorite phrases when he was alive is two wrongs don't make a right. And if we, in fact, follow the rest of the world and institute tight costs on drugs with, with extreme drug cap price caps, the problem is, where's the money going to come from to do the research on the medications that have been extending life, saving life, improving lives if you do the price caps? So this is one of those things that is a problem without an easy or effective solution. And I know people want that. I mean, the real solution is to reduce or eliminate the price caps outside the United States. But I also think that it should be legalized for Americans to buy drugs outside the United States and bring them back into the U.S. because right now it is not a legal activity, even though millions of Americans do it, but that it should become a recognized activity because what that would do is, since only a sliver of the market, a segment, would buy them outside the United States, it would have the effect of providing some market discipline for some of these meds that have gone crazy high in price. Another thing I wanted to mention to you is we, even though we have the highest prices, we in America take more prescription meds than anybody else in the world. And it really is because of the TV ads that convince us that we have a condition we weren't maybe not even aware of, or that there's a miracle pill that will cure what we do know ails us. And I find the ads that the drug companies run to be absolutely an abomination. And they'll often have somebody who looks as happy as anybody you've ever seen, usually very fit, very attractive, men and women, and they're having just the time of their lives. And while they're smiling and yucking it up, there's audio talking about everything that could happen to you bad if you take that medicine. But we don't seem to absorb that. We only absorb the beautiful people and that it's a miracle pill. And then doctors complain that patients come in saying, well, shouldn't you write me a prescription for blah, blah, blah? It seems to work great for those people on TV. So we have designed our own radio ad for you. You've always been a realist. Step up to being a fatalist with Fatalitol. For adults with depression or generalized anxiety disorder, also known as GAD, when other treatments such as electronic brain stimulation for GAD or EGAD haven't worked, Fatalitol may be right for you. In 1.4% of patients tested, Fatalitol significantly increased the will to live by working with your negative attitude to take you to the next level. Warning, this could go either way. Side effects include but are not limited to chest pain, rash, trouble breathing, confusion, flushing fever, full body dermatitis, joint pain, incontinence, hallucinations, paranoia, convulsions, delirium, projectile vomiting, seizures, explosive diarrhea, dehydration and kidney failure, pancreatitis, lymphatic dissonance, brain tumors, thrombosis, stenosis, 
scoliosis, leprosy, scurvy, migraines, fungal infections, neurological disintegration, muscle wasting, fatal cancers, loss of consciousness, and fatigue. In case of death, see your doctor immediately. Do not take Fatalitol if you have a personal or family history of well-being. Stop taking Fatalitol and call your doctor right away if you get a lump or swelling of the head or neck and are considering running for public office. Why be here when you could be in a better place with Fatalitol? How fun. Our producer, Deb, put that together. She took a lot of the warnings that play with different drug commercials and incorporated them into that warning thread that that she did after telling you that 1.4% of people would benefit from taking the med. But I want you to remember that. I want you to think about it next time you see one of those TV ads telling you how whatever ails you, there's this miraculous drug that's going to fix it, that's going to solve it. So this is a case where don't go in and tell your doctor, this is what you should write for me. You know, you and I didn't go to evil medical school like Dr. Evil. You know, we are just customers, patients. And there are times that we may find information that our doctor is not aware of. But generally, it's us being influenced by popular culture and the advertising of drugs. And I encourage you to let your doctor do his or her thing and recommend, of course, a treatment to you and not buy into those TV ads that the miracle exists simply by you getting that particular script. Michelle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Um, that little uh, promo there for the, uh, what was the name of the drug again? Fatalitol. That's great. I'm a nurse, and uh, so I see all these meds being pushed and the kickbacks uh, to the doctors. I think that's the real problem. But anyway, I won't get on that soapbox about that. Um, What I was calling you about is uh, the best way to uh, invest about uh, $10,000 that I have literally just sitting around. And I've heard you talk about Lending Club and Prosper. Hmm. And okay. I just kind of wanted to know the best way to do that. I've also looked on to online banking. Um, they have CD rates that are, are better than what you could find at maybe the credit unions and things like that. So just kind of wanted your your opinion on that. Well, the first question I always ask in a scenario like this is, when are you going to need the money? Um, not for a while. I'm 43. Um, I have a Roth um, IRA that I fully fund. I have also a traditional IRA sitting there. Um, so I've probably got at least 20, 22 more years to work. And so this is this is money not for an emergency next year or next week. This is really money that you want to put aside for the long term, or is it for potentially shorter term needs? Actually, um, it's not money that I need right now. Um, I have an emergency fund that I could live off of for at least six to eight months. Oh, my goodness. You are prepared. (laughs) All right. I save. I'm a saver. I'm so impressed. So you said you're a nurse. Do you have access where you work to either a 403B or 401K plan? 
Actually, I do, but I'm not taking advantage of that because right now I'm working as a travel nurse and I use different agencies. So that's that's kind of difficult to do that. Are you paid 1099 or are you paid W-2? Uh, W-2. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know why I asked that question? I don't. Because oh. if you're paid uh, even in part 1099, you know, as an independent contractor instead of an employee for the traveling nurse businesses then you would be eligible to set up another retirement account known as a SEP or a self-employed 401k. But because all your money comes through employment, you do have the option. So each of these companies you work for, they have 401ks and you're eligible, you just don't participate? Right, right. Because they kind of skip around to different agencies, so that makes the difference. Okay, all right, so I can't tell you yet that Prosper and Lending Club are going to work out great for me. You know, I put in the 5000 in each, and I'm letting this run as a long-term experiment. And so far, so good, but I don't know that it'll be long-term. I am receiving a very decent return on my money so far. But I don't know what kind of bad debt write-offs I'm going to have in my portfolio, what kind of... Um, defaults they're going to be. So far, though, I'm looking great. Okay. The question is over time, and I'm not ready to tell you you should take all that 10000 and put it into either Lending Club or Prosper. If you wanted to dabble in it and get comfortable with it and put some money in each and let it run for a while is like almost like experimental investing, you could do that. But okay. also, it would be to your advantage to do some more investing besides just the cap that you face in a Roth, since you are such a mega saver, it would be really worth thinking about setting up an investment account since you can't put any more money aside in in retirement vehicles. And if you were to put some money in, let's say, a, a total stock market index fund or something like that, the tax treatment is so favorable that even though you are in a taxable account, you're subject to very minimal taxation. Okay. But, right. it, but um, just putting money in an online bank when it's money you don't need anytime soon doesn't do anything for you. Okay, so but, I could get a better return doing the um, investment account. I think absolutely. And I think if you look at some of the low-cost choices I have at Clark.com. You can even look at the Schwab product where if you don't have a great deal of investing knowledge, they have the Schwab portfolios where they design the portfolios for you at no cost based on what your goals are, invest the money. I mean, there are many different options available to you, but because you've already got such a large amount of rainy day money set aside, this money, I really like the idea of being invested in whichever way you would choose to do that. There's a really nasty, ugly loan product that is spreading like wildfire across the United States. i got to make sure you know how it works and that you avoid it like the plague. It's today's Clark Rageous Moment. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. You ever heard of the term installment loan? Very common loan product. 
where you borrow a certain amount of money for a period of months or years, and you they tell you up front, your interest rate is going to be this, you pay so much per month, and then after you finish your last payment, you're done with it. Well, that's how car loans basically are an installment loan, uh, a home equity loan, not a line is a type of installment loan. But the thing that's so hot right now are rip-off installment loans that are being made available to people who are desperate to borrow money. These installment loans, sometimes referred to as payday loans, carry interest rates typically of 275% or so. And if you get really lucky, one might be at 200%. And so you end up over typically the course of a year or so owing triple what you borrowed. Triple. Let me tell you something. These things are as bad as the thing I've always despised, payday loans. When somebody offers you ready access to cash, they'll say, oh, don't worry about your credit. We'll lend you money right now. Run away. You know bad stuff's about to happen. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy. Really. They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. Thanks for being here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can improve your financial life. My goal, for you to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and when you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. But if you just have a question you don't care if I'm the one that answers it, you know we offer off-air advice for free nine hours each weekday. And so you can talk with a member of Team Clark at no cost. I say free, no cost, no obligation. Sound like an infomercial now. Anyway, this is something we've been doing for just a little less than 25 years. It's very important to me that you have a place you can turn and have someone you can trust to speak to about something that maybe is wounding your wallet. So at Clark.com on the main screen, you go down about kind of halfway, you'll see the info on how to get the free off-the-air advice. 
Google is getting into a new business, and it's the job search. Google is doing something that to techies is so key. They're doing uh, these big data dives where they're using their massive databases and the continuing developing artificial intelligence as a way to step into new areas of service or commerce. And the latest thing Google has gone into is Google for Jobs. And you will see it get steadily more sophisticated as if you are a regular user of Google services, as it learns more about you, your interests, what you do, your experience, your background. Google is planning to provide laser-focused job searches where you, when you're looking for a job, using what's known as Google for Jobs, Google, without you going to a special website, you go, this is what's crazy weird, you just do a regular Google search. And when Google's artificial intelligence guesses or knows that you are actually looking for a job, it will return a set of open jobs to you. So the idea is that they're going to be able to play this match game. This is what they're intending to do. We'll see over time how well it works. But, you know, you have roughly half of employers today are singing the blues that they cannot find. Is it singing the blues or crying the blues? I guess it could be either. That they can't find workers that match up well with the jobs they have open. At the same time, you may be in a job where you underperform what your skill level would allow you to do. So you're bored, not challenged, maybe not paid as well as you'd like. And so what they're trying to do is, in a step beyond what's happened in the past, except for executives, where they go to a, a, a human recruiter who knows the employers and knows the individual candidates and plays matchmaker for top-level corporate jobs, executive jobs. No human can do that for the great mass of jobs out there, and that's what Google is intending to do. So what I want you to know is we're in the top of the first inning, to use a baseball analogy. It's very early in the game, but as we move through the innings, Google, having the databases they do, will become steadily more sophisticated in helping you know about jobs you would not know about otherwise, and employers being able potentially to find a candidate that has been elusive and missing in their searches till now. Now, Google, as they go into any business, becomes a threat to established players. As an example, in air travel, Google.com flights, Google.com slash flights, which is by far the most sophisticated airfare search engine that exists in the world, 
has put a world of hurt on other airfare search engines. And you can think about industry after industry that when Google turns its attention to it, they become dominant. Think about in traffic with Google Maps and more importantly with Waze where Google now completely dominates you coming up with a route and knowing real-time traffic as you travel about. And now there are a bunch of people in the employment industry that are in fear of what Google's going to do in this sector. There are people who hate Google for it, uh, but if it can help you find a better job opportunity, something that more matches up with your skills and potentially more money, then great. Again, it's Google for jobs. You don't go to a website like that. If you do anything like that, all it's going to do is return to you what jobs Google is hiring for. But Google for jobs, with a regular Google search, when it can sense that what you're asking about is a job opening for yourself, it will steadily narrow in and target good opportunities for you. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. Hi. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Mike. You bought a used car, and something weird happened when you bought that car. Yes, sir. Sure did. Uh, I was buying a, a used car for my son. We're both avid Clark, listener, uh, Clark Howard listeners, so we know to buy used. Uh, we were getting a pretty good deal on the car, and they were allowing us to pay by credit card, which I thought was great. You get the points. Say uh, what? Yeah. It, well, it wasn't very expensive. It was just under 6000 out the door. Wow, and they let you pay by credit card? They sure did, the whole thing. So I got the points, which I was happy about. But even though I had a credit card, they were very insistent that I fill out a credit application. Um, I was getting a decent deal on the car. My son really liked the car, so I was uh, in a moment of weakness. I filled out the application. So my question was, why did I have to fill out this application? Well, if the car had been more than $10,000, there is an argument and justification that car dealers use that they have to comply with money laundering statutes and have to know the customer, that that the danger is that someone who could be um, uh, laundering money for a drug cartel or whatever could present false ID potentially and go dealership to dealership to dealership and keep buying cars for typically for cash and that they wouldn't know who that really was, and that they could get in trouble for laundering. That is the argument that's been presented by dealers in the past. The difference in your situation is this car wasn't even at the $10,000 mark. No. And so the other thing is that when a car dealer runs credit for supposed money laundering and homeland security purposes, there is no procedure the bureaus offer that I'm aware of that allows that to be what's known as a soft hit or soft inquiry that does not then reflect on your credit and lower your credit as what's known as a hard inquiry on your credit profile that, depending on your credit mix, credit history, and credit score, could have the effect of lowering your score a couple of dozen points. 
Right. Yeah, I noticed my uh, my score plummeted down to eight twenty seven. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I should be okay. You got you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> okay, I didn't know if they were up to some sort of shenanigans, and other folks mentioned something like you had talked about, just verifying my identity. But I'd heard about the ten thousand limit, and it just didn't make sense. So, yeah. So I, you know, I know of no other reason that a dealer legitimately would pull your credit if you were not financing with them. A lot of times, though. What will happen is when you're on a test drive, the dealer will have asked for a copy of your driver's license before you ride off on the test drive. And while you're out on the drive, they, without your authorization, will pull a credit so that they're already ready to start pitching loans to you once you've made a deal on the purchase of the car. Now, did you, after you agreed on a price... Did someone in the finance and insurance department try to get you to finance it with them? No, we made it pretty clear we were just going to pay with the credit card, and they didn't really push anything. All right. So then in your case, giving them the benefit of the doubt, let's just assume that they were doing it to comply with money laundering statutes. But there obviously needs to be a different pull for credit like happens with other things, like uh, other industries, like insurance. When they pull your credit, it is known as a soft inquiry, and it does not affect your credit standing or credit score. Right. right. And something like that needs to be established if the only reason credit is being pulled is for compliance purposes. There needs to be a way that it doesn't cause harm to you for the dealer to be in compliance with what they interpret the law to be. Steve is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Clark. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Sure, and based on your question, asking how you're doing is pretty important for me to ask you. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, my my question is I've I've had long-term care insurance for about 24 years, and it was just going along nicely as I'd planned. Uh, changed owners of the companies a couple times, uh, but the current owner has gone through some increases. And uh, in uh, 09, he went up nine percent, and 15, he went up fifteen percent. March of this year, twenty-five percent, and July of this year, they're going up forty-two percent increase on the premiums compounded. And so, that's known as death spiraling. Yeah. When you go from what were relatively minor increases to steadily higher and higher increases and that they're coming in rapid succession right that means that what's happened is something what they call an insurance adverse selection they keep as they keep raising the premiums people that are healthy are dropping out Mm -hmm. and only people that are that are in a bad way and can tell with near certainty they're going to need the long-term care they're mm-hmm. continuing to pay the premiums, then they end up needing it, and then the insurer gets hit with these huge monthly expenses. And so your long-term care policy is in truly a death spiral now. Now, well, I talked with my agent, and he told me that when we started, it was we had like 10 or 12 companies in the industry, and now it's down to three. So... I don't know whether the We actually industry. had, um, if you bought it long ago, there may have been as many as a thousand companies writing it okay. at one time. And right. now it is a relative handful, more than three, but not a lot. Right. 
So what are you and, thinking of doing? Well, so um, they offer me uh, that I can, A, uh, pay the increase and keep the same policy, B, pay a lower premium and get a lesser policy, or they offered a, a, a limited benefit where, in essence, they will uh, pool all the money that you put in there and allow you to uh, bill against it. Um, and uh, so we've, I looked, and we've, uh, we've paid in over the, those 24 years, uh, myself uh, and my wife, about uh, a little over about $42,000. And so that that is my least favored of the three options. Are you able to pay the premiums? Is it just what a pain that they raised it again? Or is it that you this is money you need to pay for daily living expenses that's going to an ever increasing premium? Well, my first thought was, do I really need this or should I just start sticking $3,500 $3,500 a year, which would be the combined premiums for the two of us, into uh, an investment and allow it to build. Well, except you'll uh, go through that in, in assisted living, you'll go through that in about 20 days. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a position where it's just a pinch to your overall finances, mm-hmm. I would, until it becomes untenable, I would keep paying as agreed, absorb the 40-plus percent increase. As an alternative, I would go with option two, where you Mm -hmm. accept a more limited benefit to moderate what the premiums would be. But the Mm -hmm. third option, where they only give you a benefit based on what you paid in, Mm -hmm. is a rotten deal for you. So I would say A or B. And option D, which you gave me, which is you just start putting the 3500 aside each year, that's just not going to do enough for you to be a suitable alternative to the long-term care insurance that you've been in for 24 years. It is a series of choices that are, none of them are great, but again, if you can afford it, keep paying. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where producer Joel posts a question to me that you have posted at Clark.com. Yeah, Clark Gustavo wrote in and said, I'm considering opening up a MyRA account. Is it safe to set up for three of my stepkids who are over the age of 18? Uh, Myra.gov. So what happened is the feds came up with this idea of having an IRA that was ultra, ultra easy to open has no fees, and gets people into the habit of investing for retirement. Now, the problem is generally these are open for people as young as Gustavo said, uh, just over 18. And at a young age, the real benefit you have is time for your money to grow being invested in stock-type choices. On the other hand, money in a Myra.gov is invested in treasuries which is not truly even traditional investing, and you earn at best probably 2% a year. So what I prefer you look at for them is taking them over to maybe Charles Schwab because you only need 100 per to open an account for them to open them their own Roth IRA. 
you got a thousand. You could look at a number of companies, including Vanguard, and I think that would be a better plan because then the money can be truly invested into companies through index funds, as an example, or target retirement funds. All right, Keith wrote in. He said, Clark, you've rightly and strongly suggested the use of second-factor authentication on financial accounts, but you should warn the people who use those personal financial software like Mint and Quicken that once you add two-factor authentication... You're blocked. You're blocked. Yeah. That's right. So there is an answer coming for that. Uh, Mint is working directly with financial institutions to have a direct access thing once you've approved it that will bypass two-factor. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Today on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted, we are joined by actor, producer, director, author. What else can you do, Brian Cranston? I sweep floors. You do? And I load a dishwasher really, really well. Do you unload it? Not too many. Okay. <laughs> we could give you a job in our the house. The talent is loading it, not unloading. No, the talent is buying the dishes that fit together and not the dishes that I buy that don't fit in the dishwasher. Well, I could teach you how they can fit. Okay, uh, Brian, right. thank you. That's Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Be sure to listen on Podcast One or through the Podcast One app and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I'm glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your money. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is the website. And when you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. You also can get off-air advice 45 hours a week. We do that for free. You can see how to talk with a member of Team Clark on our main screen. Scroll down about, oh, kind of halfway And you'll see the info on getting the free off-the-air advice. Coming up in a half hour, there's a fast-growing problem in the United States with people having money extorted from them because of things that others maliciously are posting about them on the web. I'm going to tell you what you need to know and what you need to protect yourself from And that's coming up in just a half hour. You know, today is the best moment in history for small businesses, which make up the overwhelming number of businesses in the United States and account for half of all employment or more in the United States and are the source of the job growth in the United States because businesses start out small that some become very fast growing and soar like an eagle 
and they create enormous economic growth and create jobs. But there's always been a problem being a small business person, and that is when you have that need to grow, it's been so hard to borrow money. The difference today is people are throwing offers at small businesses to borrow money, but the problem you've got to know about and be aware of as a small business owner is how to tell when you're being offered gold or when you're being offered fool's gold. Today, there are hundreds of small business lending specialists. There may even be past a thousand now of organizations, a lot of them started in Silicon Valley to make it much easier for businesses to borrow. Many of them promise that you can borrow money from them in 10 minutes after your application, you'll have the money. The amount of money you can borrow is from a few thousand to in the millions as a small business. Banks are trembling with fear because banks have not culturally been able to adapt to making these quick loan decisions. And as far as I've gone, this is all wonderful. You, as a business person, being busy with your business, absorbed in your business, and wanting to seize opportunities, now have the ability to borrow money stat. But haste can end up causing serious problems. Here's the number one thing you need to know when you're looking to borrow money as a business and you're getting solicitations over email, you're getting mailings coming to you. Because I have a number of businesses, I'm seeing these mailings. What is missing from those mailings? that I get. What's missing from the email solicitations? Nobody is talking about the terms of the loan. It's not required by law to disclose to you on a business loan what's disclosed to you on a consumer loan. So there are reputable online lenders to businesses, and then there are sleazoids. A lot of the loans being made from the quick decision lenders based on how established your business is and all the rest will be right around, probably around 10%. And so if you're funding a lot of your business with credit cards, often what you can do with one of these legit quick online loans is you can potentially even borrow money below what you're doing on credit cards. People who've never owned a business are not aware that most small businesses fund operations when they have cash flow issues by buying things on credit cards or even doing cash advances on credit cards to meet payroll, pay rent, whatever. It is an inefficient way, but a quick one for a business to meet temporary cash flow needs. And let's hope they're temporary. But now there's this whole new wave fighting for market share, making loans. The thing is, unless you ask the right questions, some of these people that are happy to throw money at you will write you a loan at a massive rate of interest, 
Others will write you one as a very affordable rate. Your job, before you request the loan for your 10-minute funding decision or whatever it is, you want in writing what the terms of that loan will be, what fees you'll pay to originate the loan, if any, and what interest rate you'll have on that loan. And then the third thing, is there any prepayment penalty? Acting too quickly without asking the right questions could set you back because who benefits from borrowing money at 75% when you might have been able to borrow money just as easily at 10 or 12%? It's up to you to do that work. Brad is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brad. Clark, how are you? you doing? I'm piddling in the yard. Since I get to work four tens, I have a generous employer. You know, every day for the last few weeks, every day has been so much better than the last, but I don't know how I can talk today. I'm getting to talk to you. This is probably the best day for a long time. Wow. I'm sure there are far more exciting things that will happen to you today than talking to me. I guarantee that. (laughs) Not in my life. Oh, wow. How can I be of service, Brad? You know, one thing I am doing for you is I'm getting you distracted from doing the yard work. That's That doesn't take much effort to get distracted from that. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm getting to go to Costa Rica. Oh, great. And, Have you been there before? First time. It'll be the second time off the continent. So I'm there, I'm, I went to Italy about six years ago with my family and... Um, we're going to Costa Rica. I think they said that they rented a house on the coast. It was supposed to be a jungle house, but uh, my stepmother decided that you know she was afraid of the big killer jungle snake. Ooh! And um, I don't know if she's aware of the big killer, you know, sand sharks. So I guess that's what we're doing. But I need a. Uh, I would <laughs> like to get a, a smartphone. Yeah. That. Uh, it works down there, you know, and if if I lose it, it, it won't be such a sad deal. But more importantly, um, I listen to some other financial pundits because they have different advice on things. But you're still my favorite. You'll always be my favorite. Thank you. Um, but, you know, coming back, I was listening to one of them, and this guy was on, you know, went through customs and, TSA or Homeland Security or whoever it is, the Gestapo at the at the at the customs office took it, him to a room and said, yeah. "Give us your phone and give us your password. We're going to go through it." Well, yeah, this is happening you know, um, around the country where immigration claims, and there are, there are a number of suits about this claim that they have the right, without probable cause and without a warrant to seize your smartphone, detain you, and then do whatever they want to do looking through your smartphone, including with you having to disclose usernames, passwords, lock codes, everything for social media, for your email, all the rest. So what people are... that came out with that. What's that? It must have been you that I listened to that time that was talked about this happening. No, I've never talked about it on the air that I can recall, but I knew someone would call me with the question. So 
the deal is what people are doing for international trips is they're buying what are known as burner phones, which you can buy. Uh, it's a, I don't know where the expression comes from, but you can buy an extremely inexpensive Android phone or a used iPhone if you're partial to iPhones, and you just take it on a trip, and when you come back, they want to have it, they can have at it. And so more that, and more, that, that can, you can find these, like when you get to Costa Rica, you could buy one, uh, used one on the street probably for 10 or $20. You can buy one before you go. A lot of people are selling low-end Androids for about 35 to $40 for a new Android. Uh, you can go on eBay and buy a newer used Android or a used iPhone and buy one that if they want it, they can have it. And when you get to the border, you just before you've done it, you've done factory reset on your phone because it's not your regular phone. Well, I was going to use it for a camera too, but, you know, the fear for me is like, so I live in Montana, so I have a pretty big pistol in case I run across a hungry bear. And, you know, the TSA goes, well, what is this pistol for? You know, and sure. if I had the smartphone and they were looking at it, and what's a picture of this? It's a picture of a crab. <laughs> what about this one? <laughs> That's my mother-in-law, you know, <laughs> taking a swim in the ocean. What's this picture? All right, so do know, you know about... Rice I had. <laughs> All right, but, so uh, Brad, Brad, I got a question for you. Have you ever heard me talk about Google Photos? I, I think I heard it yesterday. I All right, so Google that. Photos has been an absolute huge money saver, particularly for people with iPhones, but is also great for Android users. Google offers a free photo storage service called Google Photos, and it gives you unlimited photo storage forever at no cost. And so people who or short of memory on their phones or whatever, you always have a copy of all your photos for free. And it gives you the opportunity to take all the pictures you want, store them with Google Photos, and then if you don't want um, immigration spying on your pictures, you can delete them from the phone itself before you get to the border, but you still have them all. That's that's a thought. Well, um the other, maybe I should have phrased my question differently. You know, I found the Google phones, but it's finding one that'll work down there on a prepaid plan. Oh, that's a great so, question. As long as you have, uh, if you have an unlocked phone, it will work. Other than ones on Sprint and Verizon, if it's a, if it's a T-Mobile or AT and T style phone, which is GSM, which is the system that they use and when you look at phones for sale you'll they'll tell you they're gsm unlocked or whatever you when you get to costa rica you can just buy a local sim card pop it in that phone and you will have service instantly that will work for calling texting and data so it's actually easier than you might imagine today to be able to do that just about anywhere in the world. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. How's it going? I'm doing great. How about you? Great. 
So you have a question for me that has befuddled so many people. Yes, I do. Uh, first of all, I want to say it's such a delight to listen to you. Um, you have well, thank you. exceptional listing skills, and I think that's a skill that's uh, not found very often. So uh, that's completely counter to what my wife says. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm in the auto insurance market, and uh, I was looking at some of the ones that are recommended on your webpage, and I wanted to get a quote, but to get a quote to see if I'm eligible, they want my Social Security number. I'm supposed to send my Social Security number without knowing who's going to get it, how long they're going to keep it, yep. how, how they're going to safeguard it, what they're going to do with it afterwards, and how or if they're going to dispose of it all, uh, dispose of it. And all I want is a quote from them. Isn't that just so unbelievably frustrating? Yes. And everything you said is right. That it is part of the way it works, because do you know that with most insurers in most states, the number one factor in the decision they make, whether they will insure you for auto or homeowners, and what premium they will charge you is based on your credit score. So that's why they have to have your credit score is because that's what they're actually going to do is they're going to run it. They want your Social Security, I'm sorry, so they can run your credit, get your score, and then determine what premium they'll give you a quote for. Is there a way to do that without giving out my Social Security number? There is no way to do that without giving out your Social. So, so it's what's considered to be, under the law, a legitimate business purpose. Okay. And so it is – so what you weigh – you know, everything in life involves trade-offs. So what you're weighing, Mike, is the potential advantage of being with a better or cheaper insurer – with the possibility that your Social Security number being there creates yet an additional opportunity for somebody to breach and pretend to be you and apply for credit as if they're you and all that. So when you weigh those two things against each other, I would say it's worth it to give the Social Security number knowing that you have a much better chance of being with maybe a better or cheaper company against the possibility that something bad happens with your info. Okay. And if you don't like those odds, then you should consider doing a credit freeze. If you've ever heard me describe that, where even if somebody has your social security number, they can't apply for credit as if they're you. And that's a good method of protection. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy, really. They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. 
Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry washer and dryer pair. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your financial future. I want you to learn ideas to me that'll help you save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You know, you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard and we're going to talk Facebook in just a second and a hazard that comes with Facebook. Clark.com is our website and when you have an opportunity to save money, you know I want to tell you about that. ClarkDeals.com is our bargain site that I hope has already or will in the near future help you stretch a dollar. This is very upsetting to talk about, and at the same time, we are a family show, so I'm going to be careful how I describe some of this. You'll have to read between the lines with some of it. But there is an extensive investigative report that's been compiled by the Guardian newspaper on how Facebook is being used now for extortion. What's happening is that either unsavory individuals or possibly even criminal enterprises, or it could be as simple as someone with a grudge, are putting inappropriate images and content about another person or a couple on Facebook and then requiring a ransom to remove those images from Facebook. It is what's known as sextortion. Who coined that term? And it is amazingly complicated for you once a creepazoid has put information of yours out there for you to get it excised and get rid of it. I've read extensively about the things that Facebook is trying to do to put you in a position where you don't have to worry as much about this. And I read, The Guardian did a what they call a newspapering, a sidebar on the test they give to moderators to see if they know what's acceptable and what's not on Facebook. And looking at the Q&A 
Well, it's not for the faint of heart either. And so if you want to see how difficult it is today to figure out what is an acceptable image online and what is not, I will tell you that the test they put up is PG-rated, has a number of racist symbols, has images of terrorists, it's got a number of things like that, plus some images of people being cruel to animals. And you get to see, from Facebook's perspective, where their moderators should draw a line and where they should not. And I will repeat something that I have said before, and I will say it again. And let's see, how did I explain this last time with little ears listening? Be very, very cautious when in a moment of impulse or a moment of excitement, you decide it's okay to take images or shoot video of a personal situation. And you'll find that it's probably better not to do either because you never know when those images or those videos could boomerang on you and end up being used to extort money from you or to uh, be used for revenge against you. And it is amazing how difficult this is. I, you know, I know that The Guardian was all about Facebook should be doing more. Facebook has more to do. Facebook should monitor better. And this is something everybody's all learning together. And I don't see this as Facebook's fault. And again, I start with you and me with the responsibility we have to be very cautious with the fact there are phones everywhere what situations we allow ourselves to be captured in. And the more discretion you use, the more situations you'll avoid later. Joel, did I pass the test explaining that in a family-friendly way? I think so. It's hard stuff to explain. Okay. It is hard. Wayne is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Wayne. Hello, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Wayne. You have an unusual question for me. <laughs> well, I don't know. if I, My wife thinks I'm too paranoid, but when I look at a mailing label or a, a package label that comes in from something that I've bought online, it seems to have a whole lot of order numbers and account numbers, and I even pulled one out of my shred box Um it's got my phone number in there. Um, there's an awful lot of information on the shipping label, so I usually peel them off the box or cut them out of the, the envelope and put them in my shred box, and I've got a shredder, and I'm not afraid to use it. And, you know, about twice a month, I'll take the shred box over to the shredder, and I'll shred everything in there. And uh, I was just wondering if my wife's correct that I'm too paranoid or if there's a lot of information on those shipping labels that I need to safeguard. Now, I don't know. You're taking me into territory that I've not looked at before and no one's asked me about. I have in the past recommended that the shipping information that comes with a package 
should generally be shredded because of the level of personal information that's usually on the confirmation. Right, or the packing slip or whatever. Right. So I shred those also. But as far as the label itself, you may be teaching me something that has never entered my mind and I've never thought about the danger that might be presented from the label itself. So how about we do some digging on that and see if your wife's right? Well, okay, let's start with this premise. She's automatically right, whatever the answer is. Yes, okay, I'll agree with that. All right, but as far as whether your strategy is a good idea or not, uh, we'll do some digging and find out. Okay. Because I'm not aware, like if you're talking about a UPS or FedEx uh, mailing label or whatever you call what their things are, shipping label. Right. In fact, the one I'm looking at right now is actually a a U.S. Postal Service tracking uh, uh, address label. And what do you see on that that gives you pause for worry? Well, right above my name there is some kind of code or, or something I assume for the, the the shipper that there's a code up there that's about, oh, it looks like it's about 16 digits long. And then below that, there is a um, a barcode and, a, and the, a written out code underneath it that I assume corresponds to the barcode that has, uh, it's alphanumeric and has a lot of information in there that doesn't mean anything to me. But then at, right after that, it shows um, my telephone number and then another four-digit code after that wait 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 the shipping label shows your phone number yes wow i've not seen that before on a shipping label that i can recall all right Um, you've given us you've given us a worthy challenge and we're going to come up with an answer well i appreciate it because I've been listening to you long enough that if I said it out loud, it would embarrass both of us about how old we are. Well, I will tell you this. If you have identified something that is a problem that I should have alerted people to, you are going to be awarded a Clark Howard University t-shirt. They are factory second quality t-shirts, but we will get you one of those if you have alerted me to something that I should have been warning people about. So hang on just a second so that we know how to reach you to send you your T-shirt if, in fact, you have become now a member of Team Clark and are now a proud member of the Chippewas, the Clark Howard University Chippewas. So I hope Chippewas don't take offense to me expropriating your tribal name as the cheap home of the cheaper was never know when people don't have a sense of humor kumar is with us on the clark howard show hi how are you hi clark uh i'm fine thank you how are you great thank you how can i serve you today uh i have uh, three questions about the 529 plan um like a I have a four-year-old and one-and-a-half-year-old. I just started um, investing the 529 plan. I, I opened an account like a couple of weeks back um, with the basic minimum, uh, $100 to open the account. Um, so um, so I followed your uh, 
suggestion from from the website which says like uh, to invest in age based investment options yes but within the within the age based they were like a three sub categories of managed allocation uh, conservative moderate and aggressive um so my first question is like uh, what would you suggest that is completely the reason that a lot of the plans don't offer that thing of going uh, aggressive moderate or low risk mm-hmm. but that is really an opportunity for you to put your personality to work in the 529 plan you select for your child. If you're someone who doesn't like a lot of risk, you would want to go typically with the moderate portfolio. If you hate risk completely, you would want to go with the low-risk portfolio. And if risk doesn't bother you at all, then you stand a greater chance with a one-year-old and a four-year-old that you will end up with more money for their college going in the aggressive portfolio. Okay, so so the statement like more risk, more reward works works here, right? And it also means more risk, the possibility that you fall flat on your face. You know, the more risk you take, yeah. particularly in shorter periods of time, the greater risk that you get hurt financially. Okay. So okay, I have... Yeah. Go right ahead. So that's really your decision. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, I have a couple of other questions. Like, is there a rule of thumb um, to how much uh, we need to contribute, like, um, every month? Or is, is it also recommended that um, if, we ha- if we can dump in a lump sum of amount um, in between when possible, just like how you recommend, like, 10% for the retirement um, savings? Sure. Like, is, is there a rule of thumb here? So this is more art than science. Nobody really knows what is a reasonable amount of money to save in a 529 plan. It is so hard because you can't necessarily anticipate if you're, I mean, your children are preschool. You really can't know, are they going to go private college? Are they going to go state school? Are they going to go to community college for part of it? Are they going to scholarship out of some of the costs? So what I have looked at is where you want to be is on, and you can only, and you can't even guarantee this, it can only be a trajectory where for your older child, your four-year-old, that you save as much as you possibly can to get to where you estimate you'll be able to cover the first two years of private college. And then the point of that is that you have the ability, let's say your four-year-old ends up uh, getting a full scholarship, full free ride to college or whatever, you or whatever it is that you don't need all the money, you then tax and penalty free will be able to transfer that money to the one-and-a-half-year-old. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So you want to put your heaviest effort towards the oldest child or older in this case, and then know that as that child goes through school, you then can move money down the age chain. Okay. And you said there was one other question? Yeah. uh, My other question was like uh, how much we need to target for, so it's been answered. Oh, so that one I answered too. Yeah, I've really noodled that, and I have not been able to come up with an ideal number for that because most people 
are struggling just to save enough money for retirement. And as you've probably heard me say over the years, saving for retirement is a much higher priority than yeah. saving for a kid's college. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, can I ask one quick question about the retirement? Like, uh, Got to be Roth. real fast. Oh, yeah, the Roth. Um, like, I haven't, I heard about Roth in your uh, podcast and your um, other places, but um, I haven't uh, opened any Roth account, like, um what would be the start point to do that? So with a Roth, as long as you're income eligible, you can't make more than a certain amount of money per year, which is 100 and something per year. As long as you're income eligible, a Roth is fantastic. And you most Roths you can open with as little as $1,000. I have a list of my favorite companies to open a Roth at Clark.com. I also have guidance on what the initial investment should be in one. And Roths are just such a slam dunk because the money goes in and is saved tax-free, and then you spend it tax-free as well. William is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, William. Hi, how are you doing? Great, thank you. William, you got a phone call offering you what? They claim to be from the federal government offering me $7,000 grant that I don't have to pay back. All I have to do is give them some information, which either would be a credit card or a debit card number, and then they will immediately put this money in my account. <laughs> that is, uh, that unfortunately is an ugly scam. Oh, it's horrible. And I've even threatened to turn them in, and they relentlessly still call back for another two weeks. Yeah. Because all they need, you know, they can call all day long, all week long. They need one person to believe that somehow our federal government is so generous that they're just going to take your bank routing numbers and they're going to put all this money in your account. Well, Clark, I wanted to call because I want to be a part of your group. I've listened to you for a long time. And I want to let the listeners know that don't, don't believe the hype. If it's too good to be true, it's not true. Well, William, you are now a member of Team Clark. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. All right, so William, for bonus points as a member of Team Clark, what happens once you turn over your routing number to the criminals? Well, basically, they try to drain your account if they they possibly can. That's right. You get bonus points, too. That is the right answer. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. This is Jay Moore. I have a new sports podcast every day. More sports. Hashtag more sports. You don't need to know anything about sports to love it. All you got to know is I get down. I tell it like it is. I curse. I know. That's weird. And I guarantee you will love it. Podcast One, Podcast One app. Please hit subscribe. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always 
but even when I said hello, he never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.